report from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. The inquiry is underway. Good afternoon and welcome to the broadcast. Yeah, House Republicans have begun their investigation into President Biden. Now that Congress has formally sanctioned the impeachment probe, the first witness being deposed is a former prosecutor who investigated Hunter Biden, the president's son. Correspondent Scott McFarland gets us started from Capitol Hill. The impeachment inquiry itself is an important procedural step, not just for its symbolism and the way it gives Republicans a chance to use the word impeachment and Biden in the same sentence, but because it provides a stronger foundation for the things they want to do, to issue the subpoenas, to seek the interviews, to be investigators. It's more solid ground to proceed with a wider investigation. Maryland Democrat Jamie Raskin says this investigation is flimsy at best. The reason that mysteries are called whodunits is because they start with the crime and then you have to try to figure out who did it. But the Biden impeachment investigation is not a whodunit, it's a what is it. After 11 months, nobody can tell you what Joe Biden's alleged crime is. George Washington University law professor Jonathan Turley. The question we're really looking at going forward is what did the president know and what was his involvement? Democrats in the media now accept that this was a massive influence peddling operation. They're just arguing that the president really didn't know about it. Well, how do you know? I mean, that's the point of an inquiry. Meantime, the GOP planning to hold Hunter Biden in contempt of Congress for ditching a scheduled deposition yesterday. I've never seen such a display of arrogance and entitlement. You had over a dozen members of Congress in a committee room waiting for Hunter Biden to appear. I think the American people saw that was a publicity stunt that went bust. Kentucky Congressman James Comer chairs the House Oversight Committee, which is leading the Biden impeachment inquiry. The Biden administration's pitching a new border security plan that would deport illegals without asylum hearings. Chris Cabrera with the National Border Patrol Council. The only way to stop this flow is a mandatory detention, mandatory removal. Once you get that out there and you actually follow through with it, then the flow will stop. More on the plan to beef up the border from correspondent Trey Thomas. It's a bid to win over hardline Republicans like Texas Congressman Chip Roy. We've got to deal with our border and that is the right position to take. The immigration policy changes are part of a proposed $100 billion package that includes military aid to Israel, Taiwan, and Ukraine. The GOP has repeatedly demanded that border security be on the table in order to get a deal done by Christmas. Last week, 15,000 illegal immigrants a day tried crossing into this country from Mexico. Israel says it will not stop attacking Hamas targets in Gaza despite growing international pressure to do so. Here's the BBC's Hugo Bachega. Today we heard from the Israeli foreign minister uh, who said uh, that uh, the war in Gaza is going to continue with or without international support. White House spokesman John Kirby says there is no way that this war ends with Hamas at the bargaining table. While we all want the war to end as soon as possible to stop the human suffering and to establish conditions for an enduring peace, a unilateral ceasefire with a terrorist group like Hamas 
is not the answer. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan is in Israel today for high-stakes talks with the Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu. The U.S. Supreme Court will rule next year on restrictions imposed on the controversial abortion drug Mifepristone. Earlier this year, a lower court decided the FDA was wrong in how it approved that drug for use. While we await a decision from the high court, the abortifacient will remain available. The U.S. Supreme Court will also rule on a challenge by several January 6th defendants who claim federal prosecutors went too far. This decision could impact a number of high-profile cases in a high-stakes election year. Here's legal analyst Jan Crawford. Now, if the Supreme Court agrees, that could have a big impact on Trump's election interference case. It could cut two of the four charges against him or potentially delay that trial. Trump's election interference trial could start as soon as March in Washington, D.C. Technical difficulties at Tesla, the automaker recalling over 2 million Teslas due to problems with the autopilot. Tesla owner Susie Maggot hopes the resulting recall leads to safer use of autopilot. I was driving on the freeway and saw a man with his seat almost fully reclined, feet out the window, and hands like behind his head going about 95 miles an hour. Nearly every Tesla sold in the U.S. is affected, and over-the-air software update will now enable the cars to give drivers more warnings when they're not paying attention and even suspend the technology if drivers use it incorrectly. Carter Evans reporting the owner of the Washington Wizards and Washington Capitals plans to move those NBA and NHL teams out of the nation's capital and into northern Virginia. The crime rate in D.C. cited as a major reason why plans are in the works to build a new $2 billion stadium across the Potomac in Alexandria, Virginia. A professional basketball player with a history of violence has been suspended indefinitely for cold cocking an opponent in last night's game. Green just plows right over Nurkic. Raymond Green of the Golden State Warriors may not play for a while after that. Here's the ref with the call following the review of that play. The foul's been upgraded to a flagrant foul penalty two, and Green has been ejected from the game. There you go. When you hear excessive, that's it. Draymond Green is out. Mike Breen with ESPN. Draymond Green struck the Phoenix Sun center in the face and will not play again until receiving mandatory counseling. The Warriors slugger got a five-game suspension last month after putting an opponent in a chokehold. Still to come on the Noon Report, the search is over for missing college student. Sending Christmas through the mail and bringing back cursive writing. A very good afternoon to all. I'm Kevin Williams calling for some pleasant, mild conditions as we get ready to close the work week. I'll be back with the complete forecast in 10. All right, Kevin, we'll look for you then. In the meantime, let's check the stories making news all across New York and Pennsylvania. The triple threat of RSV, COVID, and flu continues to make the rounds, and healthcare experts are concerned. Dr. John Goldman at UPMC says when it comes to RSV, young children are especially at risk. It is resulted in a lot of pediatric hospitalizations, a lot of pediatric intensive care units. He stresses the importance of keeping up with your vaccinations, not just for your sake, but for the sake of those around you, too. If you infect someone who's young and healthy, it's going to inconvenience them. They might have to take a day or two off work. They might feel miserable. If you infect someone who's older, has more medical problems, you may end up having them land in the hospital. 
and you may have them die. All three viruses remain at high levels in both New York and Pennsylvania, with flu and COVID cases still trending upwards. Matthew Grant has been found safe and sound. He's the 22-year-old RIT student missing since the Monday before Thanksgiving, and he was found yesterday in Pennsylvania, 300 miles away from the campus where he attends school. Grant was located on a hiking trail near the Delaware Water Gap. Jackie Napier with Wham News. Numerous emergency personnel took to Mount Mincy in Pennsylvania on Wednesday morning to search for him after his Jeep was found nearby. Grant is an avid hiker, and that area is very mountainous with steep drop-offs. But we're told it was during that search when Grant himself walked through the doors of a police station in Palmerton to make a phone call to his mother. He told her he was safe and coming home. His family had been searching for him since late November after he left his home in Henrietta without his cell phone, wallet, or telling anyone his plan. Grant had been missing for 23 days. He's now been reunited with his family in Michigan, and we are happy to report that Matthew Grant is home for the holidays. An Israeli soldier who grew up in the Rochester area has been killed in the war with Hamas. Funeral services have already been held in Israel for Jonathan William Dean Jr. He grew up in Hilton, New York, and graduated from SUNY Brockport in 2020. The wife of a Western New Yorker held by the Taliban for almost 500 days continues to lobby lawmakers for his release. Anna Corbett says her husband Ryan's health is in decline and she doesn't know how much more time he has. Here's reporter Margaret Brennan. Last September, the Taliban did conduct a prisoner swap with the U.S. Taliban officials contacted by CBS insist Corbett is being treated well but did not indicate to us what they are seeking for his release. Corbett's family is buying him Christmas presents, hoping they'll all be reunited. Ryan Corbett is being held at a notorious prison in Kabul, Afghanistan. His dad is a pastor from Dansville, New York. Democrats in Pennsylvania have introduced a bill to codify abortion rights into law. The House measures modeled after Ohio's constitutional amendment that passed last month. Alexis Sneller with the Pennsylvania Family Institute explains why this legislative effort is so dangerous. Not only would it over turn all the current protections that we have, even restrictions on late-term abortions, but it would also prevent our ability in the future to continue to protect life. It's bad for women, it's bad for babies, it's bad for Pennsylvania. House Democrats also want to terminate the Abortion Control Act in Pennsylvania. Our Abortion Control Act in Pennsylvania allows abortion for pretty much any reason up to 24 weeks. They want to take that all the way up through and even past nine months. Northern Tier Republican Representative Clint Owl. And that just, it just blew us away as we started hearing just how extreme they are on this and really I think will open up people's eyes and actually might even turn people away from the direction that the Democrat Party is going right now. I hope so because of just how extreme it is. 30,000 abortions a year happen in the Keystone State. The Pennsylvania House is gearing up for a long break and we mean long. They're not scheduled to return to session in Harrisburg until after St. Patrick's Day. That's not till March folks. The House leadership 
blames a leaky roof that needs fixed. But Michael Gear at the Pennsylvania Family Institute not buying that. There does appear to be more of a political agenda at play in keeping the lawmakers out until after that holiday with the green beer. It turns out that Democrats are losing their one-vote majority, and so the Democrat leadership has decided no sessions for three months until that seat is filled. They're blaming a roof leak, but there will be the uh, budget addressed by Josh Shapiro in the meantime, and we'll be watching to see if he needs an umbrella as he delivers that budget address. <laughs> Tongue firmly in cheek there. Governor Shapiro delivers his budget address in February. Lawmakers wrapped up their 2023 legislative session last night. New York State wants hospitals to boost their cybersecurity in order to prevent an attack on medical information. The State Department of Health is considering new regulations that would require every hospital in the state, even rural hospitals, to spend millions of dollars annually overhauling their cybersecurity infrastructure. It's to shore up the industry's defenses. Experts say hospitals are vulnerable because of what they collect from patients, names, social security numbers, dates of birth, and financial records. In October, two hospitals in the Hudson Valley were infiltrated by hackers who were able to shut the computer system down, and the hospitals had to divert ER patients elsewhere. Sarah Harnish, Family Life News. All right, Sarah, thank you. On strike in western New York. I'm not sure if you're aware. All over the country, this is the year of the union. This is a big Hey, staffing issues and benefits, the reason why hospital workers took to the picket lines outside the University of Rochester Medical Center. People are tired of being pushed down, overlooked, and underpaid. The striking workers say the pandemic was the tipping point for them. COVID has really highlighted a lot of the deficiencies and issues within healthcare, and folks are just tired, they're overworked, they're burnt out, and they know that they deserve better. The University of Rochester says contingency plans were in place to ensure the healthcare needs of patients continued during that one-day work stoppage. A new report shows the COVID pandemic may have led to other health implications. Here's reporter Rory O'Neill. Since the pandemic's end, obesity and diabetes rates are up, and our eating habits are worse. The percentage of adults Gallup identifies as obese now tops 38%, a six-point increase since 2019. 13.6% of respondents say they've been diagnosed as diabetic. That's nearly a 10% increase from 2019. And there's been a five-point drop in the number of Americans who say they eat a balanced diet. That's down to 46%. I'm Rory O'Neill. Pennsylvania Representative Joe Adams has introduced a bill that requires cursive writing be taught in grade school. He says being able to write and read cursive is a necessary skill. Adams points out that our founding documents like the U.S. Constitution and the Declaration of Independence are both written in cursive. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation, known for helping the families of fallen first responders, is lending a helping hand to the family of a fallen firefighter from Buffalo. That charity's donated a new home, mortgage-free, to Jason Arno's widow, Sarah, and their four-year-old daughter. Not only did you give us a home of our own, a place to build a new foundation, but you gave us hope when we had none. I can't thank you enough for what you've done for us. And please know that you've changed our lives monumentally. And we are forever grateful for your kindness and your generosity. And to the entire Tunnel to Towers Foundation, from the bottom of my heart, 
Thank you. 37-year-old Jason Arno lost his life while battling a blaze on March 1st in Buffalo. If you're sending Christmas through the mail, listen up. Some important dates to keep in mind. Packages need to be mailed no later than this Saturday if you want your gift to get to where it's going in time for Christmas. The deadline for priority mail is this coming Monday. If you choose to pay more, go the priority mail express route, then you have till Wednesday, December 20th. Let's switch gears next. Talk sports. It's the two-minute drill on the Noon Report. Good afternoon. I'm Randy Snavely. Bob, we start in Milwaukee, and what a night Giannis Antetokounmpo had. He set a franchise record for the Bucks, leading them to a 140-126 victory over the Indiana Pacers. Giannis pumped in 64 points, and he grabbed 14 rebounds. He was 20 of 28 from the field, 24 of 32 from the charity stripe. His effort produced the most points ever in an NBA game with fewer than 30 field goal attempts. Yeah, that's one for the record books. 76ers won their four straight, beating the Pistons 129 to 111. Once again, Joel Embiid led the way for Philly with 41 points and 11 boards. Julius Randle knocked down 32 points and grabbed 12 rebounds, but it wasn't enough as the Jazz took a 117 to 113 win over the Knicks. And out in Phoenix, the Nets picked up a 116 to 112 victory against the Suns. Cam Thomas had 24. Mikael Bridges chipped in with 21. Brooklyn has now won seven of their past nine games. Elsewhere in the NBA, the Pelicans, Heat, Raptors, Rockets, and Lakers all won. On the ice, Valerie Nachuskin scored twice, and Nathan McKinnon reached 800 career points with a couple of assists. And the Avalanche overwhelmed Buffalo 5-1. Zach Benson had the lone goal for the Sabres. Pittsburgh won a marathon game against Montreal. They had to go to the 12th shooter in the shootout to finally pull it out 4-3. Jansen Harkins scored the game winner for the Pens. And the Islanders stretched their winning streak to four games, coming from behind in the third to beat the Ducks 4-3. New Jersey and Winnipeg also skated to victory. That is a look at sports. Thank you, Randy. Still to come on the Noon Report, Ohio acts to protect girls' sports. Tips for family Christmas games gatherings and Boston's No Whites Allowed Christmas Party. Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a famous 20th century Christian, was a dynamic and occasionally controversial theologian who became a household name because of his character and his courage. When it mattered the most, in a time when many of his fellow Germans, including pastors and priests, embraced Hitler and the nationalist ideas of the Third Reich, Bonhoeffer stood with conviction. After the Nazi rise to power in 1933, the bulk of German Protestant groups submitted to the oversight of pro-Nazi leaders. These so-called German Christians compromised the eternal truths of God to a racist, statist, and eugenicist totalitarian regime. Because of their compromise, they were left free to practice their faith as long as the practice of their faith did not transgress Nazi doctrine. 
Bonhoeffer, with others such as Martin Niemöller and Karl Barth, did transgress Nazi doctrine. They also stood against the compromising churchmen. Bonhoeffer helped found the dissident confessing church and underground seminaries, was among those who published the defiant Barman Declaration. Rejecting his earlier pacifism, he eventually took on an active role in resistance to Hitler's tyranny, eventually joining the plot to assassinate the madman. And though Bonhoeffer has been rightly praised for his faithfulness and courage in these activities, it may be that his most courageous act was simply going home. In the early years of the Nazi terror, Bonhoeffer went first to the United Kingdom and then the United States, taking up teaching positions in a freer, safer part of the world. His conscience, however, did not let him remain in safety while his nation was facing and committing such evils. In 1939, just weeks before the war began, Bonhoeffer returned to Germany. Writing to the American theologian Reinhold Niebuhr, he explained, quote, I will have no right to participate in the reconstruction of Christian life in Germany after the war if I do not share the trials of this time with my people. End quote. Despite his courage, Bonhoeffer was not perfect. His theology at times strays and is even puzzling. This fits well with the heroes that are described in Holy Scripture. The author of Hebrews in chapter 11 offers a list of champions for God that's rightly been described as the Bible's hall of faith. Even the best of the list, men like Abraham and Moses, are as famous for their flaws as for their victories. The danger in refusing to honor the imperfect isn't just the temptation to whitewash other sins while excusing our own. It's also the temptation to wait for an imaginary tomorrow, when everything is just right, rather than working today to oppose what's wrong. And it's here that we can learn another lesson from Bonhoeffer. In his book Ethics, he called on Christians to be faithful in the here and now, writing this, quote, Do and dare what's right, not swayed by the whim of the moment. Bravely take hold of the real, not dallying now with what might be. Not in the flight of ideas, but only in action is freedom. Make up your mind and come out into the tempest of the living. For Bonhoeffer, the Christian faith has to be lived in the time and place in which God places us. In that sense, courage and faith are inseparable. We must do the right thing, even if the cost is great, even if we feel inadequate for the task. God has called you and me into this tempest of the living. As James instructs, Christianity is not merely believing the right things, it's doing them, empowered by the Spirit given to us in Christ Jesus. That will mean risk. It may even mean failure. But it's through the imperfect faith of His people that God is at work renewing His world. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with Breakpoint. Today's Breakpoint was co-authored by Dr. Timothy Paget. For more resources to live like a Christian today, go to breakpoint.org. Okay, John, thank you. Let's take it outside next. Kevin Williams. Here is your family life weather forecast. In terms of any major winter weather, not happening. Not today, not this week, not this weekend. For this afternoon, a fair amount of sun, high clouds, mild, a little breezy. High temperatures, upper 30s to the middle 40s. Tonight, mainly clear. The low temps, mostly 30s. 20s, a few valleys. Tomorrow, ample sunshine, milder than today, breezy. High temperatures pushing 50. Uh, more than we have cloud cover on Saturday, but still mild with high temperatures in the 40s to near 50. Thank you, Kevin. You're listening to the Noon Report on Family Life. I'm your host, Bob Price, and here's what's happening. Thursday, December 14th, the U.S. House voting along party lines to begin an impeachment inquiry into President Biden. New York Congressman Dan Goldman says this is much to do about nothing. The Republicans are doing this for political retribution at Donald Trump's direction. The investigation has to do with Biden's alleged ties to his son Hunter's business deals while he was vice president. James Comer chairs the House Oversight Committee. We have a simple question that I think an overwhelming majority of Americans have. What did the Bidens do to receive the tens of millions of dollars from our enemies around the world? The inquiry will allow House Republicans to subpoena witnesses and collect evidence. The president calls it a baseless political stunt. Congress may also hold his son in contempt. 
contempt for ditching a scheduled deposition yesterday. Now to the war in the Middle East. It is full steam ahead for Israel as it continues to seek and destroy Hamas targets in Gaza. Hamas shows no signs of giving up. Neither does Israel. As Gaza becomes an increasingly impossible place to live for Palestinians and an abysmal one to be held hostage by Hamas. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan is in Tel Aviv for talks today with Israeli Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu. A nine-foot-tall, 350-pound steel menorah in Oakland, California, was destroyed last night. The local rabbi reacted this way. You can break our menorah, but you cannot diminish or extinguish the light of our souls. There have been several instances of menorahs being desecrated in this country as Jews celebrate Hanukkah and as acts of anti-Semitism continue to rise. Ohio Governor Mike DeWine has not yet said whether he'll sign a new bill that protects girls' sports from the growing influence of the transgender movement. The measure also bans sex change operations and genital mutilation on minors. LGBTQ groups are condemning the legislation, which polls show a majority of Ohioans support. Major health insurance companies being sued over its use of artificial intelligence in making medical decisions. A class action lawsuit filed in Kentucky against Humana claims the health insurer uses AI to deny doctor-recommended rehab care for seniors. The lawsuit against Humana accuses the company of using an inaccurate algorithm to meet performance targets. That's Wendy Gillette reporting. Boston Mayor Michelle Wu hosted a racially segregated Christmas party last night. No whites allowed. Only people of color on city council got the invite. Initially, all 13 members of the city council were invited. Then invites were rescinded to the seven white councilors. When asked by reporters about the racially segregated party, Wu refuses to acknowledge or apologize at all. One white city council member said that it reflected a sad state of affairs in Boston politics. Cheryl Cassoni with Fox News. And next at noon, a conversation about holiday gatherings with focus on the family's Jeremy Keaton. Here's Family Life's Greg Gillespie. What is the biggest thing that you and your staff hear from families this time of year about where the sources of these stresses are? Yeah, we we all know and we live it in our own families. Uh, we have treasured times, things we're looking forward to, and yet there's still some uh, nerves, some stress with all the busyness. We can be harried, we can be on edge, and yet if we're really intentional about our planning, our expectations, pacing ourselves, we can help ourselves through this season to stay calmer and still appreciate the peace we're looking for in December. So we hear a lot of a strain on families when it comes to emotions and interacting with extended family at times. What is it that would help us make these times less stressful, more joyous, more peaceful? First is how do we set the right expectations? And the second is boundaries. I need to be in control of certain boundaries, places I will and won't go in conversation, how I will and won't participate in certain things that may be difficult. And then your self-preparation. How do you gear up? How do you take care of yourself well? How do you focus on what's within your control, your self-preparation? If your family or your situation is not up to the Christmas cards or the Hallmark Christmas movie standards, you're in a very large majority. 
Yeah, I love that you're saying that, Greg. We need to normalize this a bit in that even the, quote, perfect family is not perfect, right? And embracing imperfection while you embrace the perfect one who is Emmanuel, God with us. I'll also say, Greg, don't focus on solving problems and fixing it. Just focus on building the relationship based on what you have in common around that holiday table. Our guest today is Jeremy Keaton, who directs the counseling department at Focus on the Family. How do you go into keeping safe boundaries for yourself so that things don't get tense or explode? I love to look at Romans twelve eighteen. I, I think of this verse, in as far as it is possible, and as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If you're setting yourself in an attitude of love as best as the Holy Spirit in my prayer life will help me, then I'm going to, in as far as it's up to me, keep peace grounded inside of me as I interact. Boundaries really are about what I will and won't do. They're about self-control more than, than controlling others. If you are being tested by a relative who likes to push buttons on maybe a political topic or a family issue that you have disagreements on, you can even use phrases like, I hear you, Joe, that is a big deal, but it's a good thing that today Christmas is a politic-free zone. And you can set that boundary without saying it snidely. You can say it gently. You can also just go in listening mode. You don't have to return a response. You can say, oh, I hear you. That sounds important to you. Knowing that we've got a gathering, whether it's our house or somewhere else, preparation for that, for for yourself, may even be smart to talk with your immediate family, guiding kids on here's what to expect, here's what to do, not to do. What are your steps toward preparing for what could be either a great or troublesome some family gathering. I say fuel up your heart. Sometimes we just kind of reactively go into things and in the back of our mind, we're maybe wondering what will happen, expecting the best or expecting the worst. God wants to be your counselor, your calmer. Be still and know that he is God and think about, okay, who do I want to be? God, who do you want me to be going into this time? Find that. Practice that. That's a reliance on the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of Jeremy, not the fruit of yourself, but the fruit of the Spirit, and prepare your your heart's goals in that way spiritually. Last tip here is in your family, you and your spouse may need to, if you're married going to a family gathering, you may need to kind of have some signals. You need to know your limits when you need a break. You may need some a wink, a nod, a hand signal that says, you know, this is the moment when, when we need a walk, or at least I need a walk. I need to need 10 minutes out outside of the house. I need to run an errand. I need to walk around the block because some people are introverts. Some people are extroverts. Know what you need to do to be a team together with your loved ones, with your spouse in particular, and taking breaks when you need to. These are just a few practical things, Greg, and I, I hope they bring people to a place of reflection before their family gathering. That is good stuff there from Jeremy Keaton at Focus on the Family. This is the Noon Report on Family Life. 
Good afternoon. Here is your Family Life regional weather forecast. It's a serene weather scene for now. Yeah, there's a little breeze kicking in for some, but in terms of any major winter weather, not happening. Not today, not this week, not this weekend. We are keeping our eyes, though, on a storm that will be trying to move up the eastern seaboard next week. That could mean rain followed by snow. We'll keep you advised. In the meantime, for this afternoon, a fair amount of sun, high clouds, mild, a little breezy. High temperatures, upper 30s to the middle 40s. Tonight, mainly clear. The low temps, mostly 30s. 20s, a few valleys. Tomorrow, ample sunshine, milder than today, breezy. High temperatures pushing 50. Uh, more than we have cloud cover on Saturday, but still mild with high temperatures in the 40s to near 50. Okay, I guess if you're dreaming of a white Christmas, uh, keep dreaming. We'll see. Thank you, Kevin. Finally, at noon for a Thursday, today's the day, folks, to put more good in this world. Here's Family Life's Brian Query. Kindness, generosity, goodwill, things we could always use more of in this world. And today's the day to take time to focus on doing just that, as it's more good today day. The main goal of this day is to remind people to take the time to think about the people around them and help in any way they can, focusing on the positive things in the world. It could be holding a door for someone, getting somebody a cup of coffee, or just sharing a smile and being polite. Doing good can be a small act or a grand gesture. Remember, any act of kindness can go a long way in making people's lives happier. Brian Query, Family Life News. Be the change, folks. Be the change. Thank you for that, Brian. And that's the world we live in. Thursday, December 14th. I'm Bob Price. Family Life News. You've been listening to the Noon Report. Heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening.